We hope you enjoy our homily podcast. Please consider supporting the ministry of Our Lady of Lourdes by donating to the Future Full of Hope Capital Campaign at lourdesdenver.org. We are so grateful for your support. Good morning, everyone. Anyone who doesn't believe in original sin, I just have to say this today. Like, if you don't believe in original sin, every single week your children lie to me. It's hilarious. When we do the opening of the word, the children's liturgy of the word, every week I ask, who hasn't carried the book? And every hand goes up. And I'm like, you little liars. No, I don't really say that. But they are. I'm like, you see all the kids. It's like, you had it last week. You had it the week before. I know I've given you the book like three times. Anyway, it's hilarious. Original sin is real. One of the great lies of our culture, and one of the things that's easy to think as Catholics, is that Christianity is the religion of future happiness. Right? Christianity is the religion of future happiness. We all think this at times. When I was leading Bible studies for high schoolers, I used to, I always gave them a catechism, which is hilarious. They probably never touched it. But I would give them a catechism, and I'd always write in the front as a joke. I would write that the first paragraph, the first rule of Catholicism was that God hates fun. And we've all thought that. And they would all laugh, you know, and I was like, but seriously. And we think sometimes that as Christians, what being a Christian is about is that right now I have to not do the things I want to do so that I can be happy later. And there's a half-truth to that. There's a half-truth. Marx thought that, right? Marx is famous for saying that Christianity was the opiate of the masses. Right? Marx believed that Christianity held people in slavery in this life by promising them happiness in a future life. And he thought it was all a lie. And he said all these people live these miserable lives on earth And they'll willingly go through it because the church promises them heaven. And I know that for a lot of my life, I thought that. And honestly, if I'm really honest with you guys, there's days as a priest where I feel like that. Because there's a half-truth to that. There is a truth that we have to deny ourselves and we have to look forward to the glories of heaven. You've heard me quote before. Oscar Wilde has that quote where he says, a cynic is someone who knows the cost of everything and the value of nothing. A cynic is someone who knows the cost of everything and the value of nothing. A lot of days I'm a cynic with our faith. Now what I want to share with you today is I want to talk to you about why that's only a half-truth we got to flip that upside down. So this is a little bit of an old story, so forgive me if you've heard this before, but it's really the other way around. And what I want to get at is that Christians are not, we don't deny ourselves because everything is bad and we just are hoping someday to be happy. We deny ourselves because we have tasted something so beautiful, so true, and so good that we couldn't possibly live for something else. So when I was in seminary about halfway through, and I was, I was living over in um, 
kind of East Denver. And I was halfway through seminary. And when you, seminary in Denver, right, studying for the priesthood, it's seven years long. And you go through, and, and I'd been in seminary, I don't know, four years maybe. And it felt like I had been there for an eternity. And it felt like you're going to be there for an eternity. And you're just kind of at that point in your studies where you're like, it's just never going to end. And I remember I was studying one night, and finals were coming up, and I said, I've got to get out of the house. And so I went to a Starbucks near, near there, near our house that we lived at, and went and got you know, some decaf tea or whatever, and I just needed a change of scene. And at that Starbucks, they had, you know how sometimes they have like individual tables where just one or two people can sit? They had them all, all these tables lined up against one wall. And I went in and I sat down at one of them and I was drinking my tea and I opened my textbook, whatever I was reading. And I started to study. Now, you know this. When you go to a, a sitting arrangement like that, the natural thing to do is to sit, and there's one person. The natural thing to do is sit facing the same direction as them right? Because otherwise you look up and make eye contact at random times. It's just kind of awkward. Or maybe if you're going to face the opposite direction, you'll go to another end of the row. Well, what happened that night, I remember, is I was sitting in one of those seats, and the most beautiful woman I have ever seen in my entire life sat down, didn't face the same direction, but faced me. See, I just woke you up. I can feel it. <laughs> People love stories. It's the truth. If you're going to be a priest, tell stories. True stories. Anyway, so I was sitting there, and, she's, she's, and she didn't sit at the other end. She sat at the next table. And I, I got uncomfortable. Right? She, she was so beautiful that I was, I was just distracted. And I would go back to my text I was reading, and I couldn't focus. And you'd look up, and she'd be looking at me, and I was like, this is not, this is not happening. And eventually I had to, to just leave. I was like, this is futile. I know God's called me to priesthood. And I had to get up. I packed up my bags, and I just had to leave. And every time I tell that story the same thing happens. Every woman in the congregation is like, I think that was me. <laughs> East Denver, about 10 years ago. Yeah, that was me. <laughs> and yes, it was. Um, here's the, there's a very simple point I want to give to you today. Today's reading the Transfiguration in Luke chapter 9 is one of the hardest gospels for me to preach about because it is maybe the most beautiful. But here's what I want to get at. Brothers and sisters, beauty will change your life. Beauty will change your life. When you see something that is authentic, authentically beautiful, not a counterfeit, not a cheap imitation, but when you see something that is truly beautiful, there is nothing more powerful. 
And sometimes I joke that that's why I was, I, I was able to make it through seminary because I knew I couldn't marry that woman. And so I'll go be a, and that's not true, but beauty is that powerful. Today's gospel, I really want to challenge you today, brothers and sisters. You need to meditate on today's gospel. If you read it quickly, you will never understand what's happening. Today's gospel demands, it absolutely demands of you as a Christian that you pray with today's gospel, that you enter into silence, that you imagine that you're there, that you contemplate what's happening. What Peter, James, and John saw on the Mount of Transfiguration is more beautiful than anything any human being has ever seen. What Peter, James, and John saw on the Mount of Transfiguration is more beautiful than anything any human being has ever seen. In fact, it's so beautiful that we have to use, and the Gospels use this word, they have to say, they can't just say the word beauty, they have to use the word glory. What is glory? Glory is a beauty that is so great that we can't actually use human categories for it. Right? It's, it is beyond any beauty in this world. And Peter, James, and John saw that on the mountain. And it changed them forever. To be a Christian, right, we think Christianity is the, is the religion of delayed happiness. Right? Everybody else gets to be happy in this world, and I just have to wait. And if I wait and I deny myself the things that I want to have now then in heaven someday I'll be happy. Brothers and sisters, it's a lie. The reason, and you'll, you'll never do it, by the way. If you're only denying yourself for future happiness, it doesn't work. The only people who really say no to the world are those who have tasted divine goodness. One of my staff members, and Monsignor Glenn, you've heard about, he died, uh, what, a week and a half ago, something like that. Monsignor Glenn is, is a priest who mentored me. He vested me uh, as a priest. He preached my first mass. He's a man I love dearly. And Monsignor Glenn is the reason that I am obsessed with pasta. He studied in Rome. He, uh, when everybody else made these trips around Europe, he would stay in Rome and he'd learn how to cook. When I was in seminary, Monsignor Glenn taught me how to make real pasta, not, you know, the American kind. And it ruined my life, <laughs> right? Because before, and this is the point, and this is hard for me, it's hard to get words around this, but before I met Monsignor Glenn, I would have been happy with ragu, right? I know, I'm an arrogant priest, I know. But he's ruined me for that. Because I've tasted something so much better, I would never, ever bought store-bought sauce. I never will for the rest of my life. I have not bought store-bought pasta sauce in like 10 years. Never going to do it. He ruined me. May he rest in peace. <laughs> but, 
The, what Christians live for, brothers and sisters, Marx was wrong. He was dead wrong. Christianity does not enslave people. It frees them. Because once you've seen the divine beauty of Jesus Christ, you can live for nothing else. Right, you, there, There's a temptation. When you haven't had the real thing, when you have not seen what you're really made for, the world looks so appetizing. And when I forget what I'm made for, the world is so appetizing. It's so tempting. Right? And I just want to live for power, sex, and money. Right? Those things are so appetizing. Except when I see the glory of Christ. When I see the glory of Jesus, it's not, they're not even tempting. I have no desire for them. Right? They're like store-bought sauce on that shelf. There's nothing appealing to them. You were made for three things. You have heard me say this over and over again, but you should never grow tired. I was praying about this this morning, and I never get tired when these things touch my soul, ever. You were made... Not for comfort, right? Not for pleasure, not for fun. You were made for truth, goodness, and beauty. And nothing else will ever satisfy you. Ever. We all think rich people are happy. No, they're not. Not any more than you. We all think beautiful people are happy. No, they're not. No more than you. We all think if we had an easy life, we'd be happy. It is not true. Right? Because you were created for the glory of God. St. Thomas Aquinas says this. He says, final and perfect happiness. Isn't that what you want? Right? Gelato can make you happy. I would lie to you if I didn't say that. Gelato can make you happy. It's amazing. Final and perfect happiness, though, right? The kind that lasts. Right? Do you ever have those days? I know you've had them. There are some days when I'm able to get out of Denver, and I turn off my radio, and I go to the mountains, and my soul's quieted, and I can pray, and I am a new human being. That kind of happiness, final and perfect happiness, can consist in nothing else than the vision of the divine essence, which means God. You see, Peter, James, and John saw that. Right? Jesus today, on his journey to the cross, which is Lent, right? That's what we're doing in Lent. We are denying ourselves. We're walking to Jerusalem to go to the cross of Jesus Christ. Right? And before the transfiguration, maybe Peter, James, and John thought, oh my gosh, what are we doing? Where are we going? How can we do this? But when they saw the divine essence, the radiance of glory, They didn't hang their heads. Final and perfect happiness can consist 
in nothing else than the vision of the divine essence. Thus it will have its perfection through union with God as with that object in which alone man's happiness consists. You were made for that. You were made for the divine essence. In your Lent, right, in your life as a Christian where you have to deny yourself. You have to. But you're going to struggle to do that if you have not tasted the beauty and the truth and the goodness of Jesus Christ. If you've tasted that, if you are devoting yourself to silence and to prayer, to contemplation, I promise you your self-denial will be much easier. Finally today, I just want to make one comment. Peter, it's so funny. Peter wants to build these three booths. Right? And everybody loves to kind of pick on St. Peter. You know, he never gets it. Makes me feel better about myself, which is great. He wants to build these three kind of huts on the mountaintop. And Peter's not fully off. And the reason he wants to do that is so deep. But he's referring to a Jewish feast that we're not going to get into. But the Jews believed that in heaven, the righteous would live in huts like that. They believe that. They're called tabernacles is what they call them. And so the Jews believe that when heaven broke into earth, those who are righteous would live in these booths. And Peter's saying, that moment's here. I've seen it. We're here right now. Heaven is breaking into earth. All right, let us build these three booths, tabernacles. The New Testament believes the same thing, but it transforms the image. And here, I just want to fill you with hope. It is hard to be a Christian. It is hard to deny yourselves. But if you fill your life, your vision, your heart, your soul with what God gives us for hope, it won't be hard. In 2 Corinthians, St. Paul is talking about this, that in that in the age when heaven breaks in, that the righteous will live in booths. But Paul says that the booth that you and I are going to live in is not, you know, it's not a little shack out back. It's your glorified body. So Paul says, we know that if this earthly tabernacle booth, if that little booth we live in now is destroyed, which is death, we have a building from God. A house made not with hands, eternal in the heavens. Do you know what you're created for? While we are still in this tent, right? When I'm still in my body, we sigh with anxiety. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed. And I love this line, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. In the kingdom of God, when it comes, you will dwell 
in a, in a glorified tent. Tent is an image in the New Testament for your body, but it won't be like your body now. It will be a glorified body that will radiate the way Christ's body does. That's your destiny. That is your hope. That is the call of all Christians. Brothers and sisters, if you know that, right, if you've tasted real Italian, not ragu, right, if you have tasted the real hope, the real thing I was made for is not comfort or pleasure. The real thing I was made for is eternal truth, goodness, and beauty. And one day, one day I won't just see it, one day I will participate in that. And if that's true, I can do anything. I can go to Gethsemane. I can walk to the cross. I can find joy in my earthly pilgrimage because someday I will dwell in the glory of God. Jesus, renew our hope today, this morning, on our second Sunday of Lent. Jesus, we're all tempted by earthly things. Lord, show us your glory. Lord, I pray that my brothers and sisters here today, they'll have silence, right? That they won't just think about your goodness, but that they'll taste it, right? That they will see the goodness for which they were made, the beauty, that truth that you created them for. And Jesus, when they taste that, Lord, I know that nothing else will satisfy. 